Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Today's broadcast was recorded at the most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium. My guest is Mike McNamara. Mike is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Target, the nearly $100 billion revenue retailer. Mike drives Target's technology roadmap and he oversees business intelligence strategy and enterprise data analytics for the company. Prior to joining Target in 2015, Mike spent more than 17 years at the UK-based retailer Tesco, most recently as Chief Information Officer. He also serves on the board of directors of Hawaiian Airlines. In this interview, Mike discusses his beginnings at Target and what drew him to the Twin Cities-based retailer. We talk about the digital transformation that he and his team have driven, the sanctity of data and forming a data strategy, and the cultural change required to get the IT department to the point of being a driver of customer experience. Mike shares how he leads his team in what he calls ruthless prioritization and the ways in which Target acts as a talent factory, developing the next generation of chief information officers, among a variety of other topics. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Loonkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The, the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this last thing. Every single time they have to enter their password, change their password, can't remember their password or any other problems, please remember Transmit Security. And now on to the interview. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Hey, I'm delighted to be here, Peter. Well, taking a quick look back, uh, I first uh, knew of you for a distinguished tenure you had at Tesco, the grocery retailer based in the UK. And when you joined Target in 2015, the consequences of the cybersecurity breach of 2013 were still being felt and reconciled. Uh, you were going from the UK to the US, uh, uh, where the, which was the home of Amazon, uh, which was eating the lunch of a number of former stalwarts in the retail space as well. Uh, there were all sorts of, quite frankly, you know, sort of uncertainty uh, as to the position that Target occupied and uh, its potential. Clearly, you saw a lot of potential. Uh, take us back to those early days and in terms of what you saw, why this was, in fact, a, a appealing enough for you to, as you once told me, move to a, to a state that you weren't exactly sure where it was in Minnesota. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Well, I had to, I had to look up Minneapolis on a map right. um, and then, then, then research it online. Um, well, look, you know, when I, I, you know, when I began to engage with Gar Target, what was, what was clear is that, you know, this is a business that had lost some confidence. That was for sure, right? You know, uh, you mentioned the data breach, but there also was um, an unsuccessful entry into the Canadian market, which was, 
uh, was which is pretty big. And and the business actually had been losing market share for a number of years. So it, it you know the downside when you looked at it was that there was a business that lacked confidence right in itself and. Um, but the upside was that you had this phenomenal brand. Um, you had a business that was um, uh, really, really brilliantly run financially. So it had a balance sheet to just die for. So, uh, you know, and then they had a tremendous body of really, really very, very highly capable people. Again, just slightly lost their way. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, they, you know, they, they were just smart folks, right? And you could see all that. So you knew that if this business could just find it the right direction, um, that it had both the um, financial resources and the people resources to be able to back any strategy that it chose to back. So it was very attractive. I mean, the, the, the possibilities, and you know, back then were just phenomenal. Um, for the, and the prospects, I thought, for the business, if we just get it right, the strategically right, then you know, um, we were onto a real winner. And you've led a, a really extraordinary digital transformation at Target um, as you. Uh, contemplated again, thinking back to the early stages, yeah. uh, competing more squarely with some of the digital native organizations, some I've named, uh, others that I've yeah. not, um, <clears throat> it, it, who had, of course, natural kind of tech uh, technology yeah. advantages from more recently having the tabula rasa, the, the the blank slate available to them than Target had. How did you think about prioritizing in order to more squarely compete in that space? Well, listen, I think, you know, it didn't take a genius even back in 2015 to work out that uh, technology was going to be vital to Target's future. You know, what, what always was going to mark out the winners and losers in retail were the ones that, in, that the winners were always going to be the ones that invested uh, in their technology and in their supply chain because of just the ongoing consumer trend towards uh, towards digital. So, that, you know, that wasn't exactly a, a, a stellar insight. But the reality is, even though a lot of people realize that, you know, people, you know, a lot of companies underinvested, right, in 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 digital, um, and Target actually had underinvested in digital historically. So it was pretty obvious the technology was going to be really, really key to Target success in the future. So given that realization, again, not 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 exactly a mind blowing one, um, you know, then you kind of say, well, technology is really important, and I I'm not going to outsource it. You know, when I when we when I began at Target, seventy percent of the team was outsourced. Uh, today, that's seven percent, right? So we've gone from seventy to seven, um, because I, I really believe that actually what was really really important to Target was to a is to make sure that we were focused on the right things for sure, right? That we were only doing work that was of uh, of value strategically to the organization. Um, secondly, that we should build up our own engineering capability in-house um, and, you know, a real, real focus on the team. And then thirdly, uh, architecture. And, you know, architecture is just, is key to it all. Um, you know, uh, the, the reality is nobody can predict the future. I couldn't predict what was going to happen over the ensuing six years when I joined. And clearly a lot of things did happen, including the pandemic, which nobody saw coming. Um, so what was really, really important was to start building out uh, an architecture that um, would be scalable, stable secure but agile right and give you some speed um so they you know and that's been my focus really for the last three years eh? you know getting people focused on the really um uh, the big strategic initiatives for target um building up the engineering capability within the team and then focusing in on creating just a great platform for the future Great insights all. Maybe we, we, we uh, talk a little bit about it, the sanctity of data, the ensuring that you understand your operation effectively, your customers and their wants and desires and their dislikes for that matter. And the transformation, you know, six years is a long time uh, in the migration and advancements that have been made in data and analytics. How have you thought about its evolution in forming your own data strategy across that period? 
Well, listen, I think, you know, we, 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 we've built up a, a very significant and very strong capability in data science and in AI. I mean, I've got about um, 400 engineers dedicated to just data engineering and a couple of them, about 200 mathematicians, right? So, uh, you know, we use, we use AIs extensively across target from everything from the things you would recognize as a guest. Um, clearly, you'd see them, you know, all those recommender bars, et cetera, and the carousels that come up on, uh, on your uh, web experience. Um, fairly obvious. We use it in digital marketing. Um, and then, of course, we use it right across our operation. So we we use our data and we use AI extensively, I mean, very, very extensively, you know, to, to tackle some of those big old hairy problems of, of uh, retail, like uh, demand forecasting and ordering and all along the supply chain, workload planning, uh, assortment planning, pricing, promote which which products we're going to promote. And, you know, we've uh, and then we use it for lots of little things as well, right? Just looking at the quality of imagery that we put on the on the website or to create correct errors in item setup or whatever. So it's it's extremely extensively used right across Target. Um, and it's been key to the success of the, of the business, to be honest. And I, it's still, I, I think it's still, there's just more to be, so much more to be done there. It's a really, really exciting, um, I think, avenue of discovery in the future and, and a great source of uh, competitive advantage for the business. I want to go back to this extraordinary statistic you offered of formerly 70% outsourced, now seven, yeah. uh, adding tremendous weight to the, uh, the engineering talent within the organization. So a capability to build rather than simply buy and integrate yeah. exclusively or, or at least primarily, let's say, yeah. uh, as was the past for yours, like so many organizations. Yeah. And, and now then uh, developing an ability to deliver incredible guest experiences. And that strikes me, you know, the the, the organization that would that would choose to, as so many did, to outsource 70% of IT in some ways says, you know, it's other parts of the organization that are going to impact the customer before IT does. And yeah. now with the changes you've made, IT is much more positioned to not think of colleagues as customers, but to think of the people who provide the revenue for your company as customers oh, yeah. and impact yeah. that to a much greater degree. Please go ahead, Peter. No, I was just going to say, well, as you contemplate that migration, that's a significant cultural change that you have fostered. And, you know, we'd love some insights as to how that was brought about as well. Well, like, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, clearly all the technology, I think, has, has experienced this. And a couple of the, the, the speakers before me um, were speaking about it. I mean, you know, if I go back long enough in my career, technology was all about operational efficiency and operational effectiveness. We've, I spent most of my retail life in warehouses and in the supply chain and in stores and so on and so forth. Um, and my probably key business partner was a chief operating officer. Um, and today, that's just completely different. Today, uh, technology is about making money, right? It's about selling stuff um, far more than it is about um, moving stuff, which it was uh, in the past in retail. So it has been completely, you know, it's completely changed over the course of my career. Uh, but that engineering capability was really, really important, right, to build that up. And, and not just the capability, but the way we worked and uh, the composition of the team. And in terms of the way we worked, you know, um, uh, whatever it was, six years ago now, we moved into a product um, DevOps uh, model. And uh, we did it in an all-in kind of, you know, um, uh, damn the bullets kind of way. And we, we just decided that this is what we're going to do. Um, and we moved the entire team into a product uh, structure uh, overnight. Um, and then we burned our bridges behind us by 
uh, releasing all the project managers, program managers, and business analysts. And then we got on with making it work, um, which might sound a wee bit cavalier. It wasn't so cavalier. I mean, we, brought, we, we backed it up with just a, a ton of uh, a ton of training. Um, and that really was, that was huge, right? Um, and, and that's made it such a difference. So today we have, you know, a couple of hundred products um, across the business and each of those products um, do a release either daily or weekly. So, that, you know, and they could do it more frequently. The reality is the rate limiter is how quickly our business and our guests kind of absorb uh, change rather than how quickly we can produce it. Um, that speed and agility has just been a phenomenal benefit uh, to the business. So I'll give you an example. Like last year, you know, when, clearly when, when COVID hit, I mean, our, our, our business skyrocketed. It just went, you know, uh, it went through the roof. Um, our, uh, you know, our digital business grew like three years in three weeks, uh, which was pretty extraordinary. And things like services like curbside and drive up, I mean, they grew in the thousands of percents. I mean, you know, um, uh, as people were, you know, staying at home and ordering from home. So the, um, uh, a, you know, the, the systems just didn't, didn't, you know, it was, it was fairly easy for us to scale up to that. Um, we took out our kind of Cyber Monday playbook and then just played it all year. Um, so, but it was, it, we already had the ability to scale our systems to that kind of capacity. So that wasn't, uh, that was relatively straightforward. But we also had to produce new applications uh, and new, new features and functions, both for our guests and our business at a phenomenal rate. You might remember, um, all, you know, a lot of jurisdictions restricted the number of guests or number of pe- total number of people you could have in a store at any given time. So, you know, you might have gone to a number of our competitors and they would have had somebody at the door with a clicker and a, and a clipboard, right? Counting the number of people in and out. But we developed an app that was uh, linked to an AI over the top of the door um, in a camera on top of, above the doorway, which then just sent an event back down to a handheld from the team members. So we could keep a constant, uh, a constant tally of the number of guests in our stores. That app uh, took a week to produce and two weeks to roll out nationally. You know, and that's the speed. And you know, I could. There was lots of other examples. I mean, you know, say drive up went through went through the roof in terms of a service. Last year, we planned to roll grocery uh, drive up for grocery fresh items in particular out to two markets. I think it was going to be uh, Minneapolis and Dallas. Uh, we rolled out to the whole country, right? Because the demand was there. And actually, the hardest thing about rolling drive up out uh, to the entire country uh, wasn't the technology; it was uh, getting permission to paint those drive up lanes in, inside the car parks and putting up posts, right? So it was the physical stuff that turned out to be the most difficult. Uh, from a tech point of view, we could just produce the applications really quickly. That's that. That's why you know having that engineering team in house without the handoffs having a product structure that manages a backlog and then having an agile architecture, that's why it really, really mattered. And there's no way Target would have had the standout year we had last year had we not invested in the capability in the team and uh, the definition of the architecture. Remarkable story and and, and shows to the uh, prescience, not that you would have <laughs> been prescient enough to predict a pandemic, but the prescience to recognize that resilience and and nimbleness was something that would yeah. need to be the calling card of an organization like yours, uh, and thus parlaying the advantages of having uh, making those investments early on in your tenure. You know, if you if you talk to as I do, uh, people who know you well, and I've gotten to know you a bit myself mm-hmm. as well, uh, that people will talk about how you're a visionary, how you're an advocate for the teams that you that you lead, and that uh, you're an advocate for technology more generally speaking, especially with colleagues who uh, maybe are less savvy. And so sort of explaining to them the the, the ins and outs of that. Another thing that comes up, I, I have found, is that you are a ruthless prioritizer. And I, uh-huh. I think it's such an interesting way of uh, a, a good reputation to have. Uh, and I think partially uh, 
describes the necessity to not do everything for everyone, but rather to have a good mechanism to determine where the greatest value is going to be derived. And so I wonder, maybe take a quick moment and uh, okay. I'd love your reaction to that as a reputation point. Well, look, I mean, I think it's broadly true. <laughs> so I'll give you that. It's <laughs> fair enough. And I certainly have the reputation within our business of it. I mean, and it's it's actually a lesson I learned from a startup that we bought when I was back in my Tesco days, you know, and because the startup, um, you know, focused on, that's where the term came from, ruthless prioritization. Um, because literally they needed to make sure they had enough cash to, to you know pay the payroll at the end of the month. So you could not be in any way frivolous with your money. And you had to put your money in your resource which for where it was going to create the best near-term returns, right? Um, purely out of necessity. Um, but I found it extraordinarily useful, right? Just to get people focused on fewer, bigger things rather than just a plethora of little things. So again, you know, when I joined Target, we were doing something, it was close to 900, 880 projects on the box, you know, and this is, uh, and there's no way a company has 880 priorities, not even a Target. We don't have 880 priorities. So, um, you know, we, we, we began to slim that down fairly quickly. And uh, the way I did it is I got all the leadership team in a room uh, in front of a whiteboard, I gave them five post-it notes each and, and said, write down your top five tech priorities. And then we did an exercise of prioritizing what they put in the post-it notes. Of course, a good thing about having doing, giving them five post-it notes each is that that limited the number of priorities to 50, right? So because there were 10 of them. Um, and, and really then we shaped the organization around those priorities back then. Um, and and the organization has remained broadly consistent, right? There's some areas we've clearly invested more in marketing and digital would be two obvious areas, but in other areas, it's remained fairly, the level of investment has remained fairly static. Um, and look, and that was a really simple way of, you know, stopping all the squabbling about, you know, this thing is more important than that thing. Because there's one thing in my life, I, in my retail career, I know that I will never get a marketeer and a merchant to agree, right? So <laughs> so really it was a divide and conquer strategy. So we had, the, we had this number of engineers on marketing, that number of engineers on merchandising, and they had to prioritize them within their own buckets. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that got that got, you know, prioritization on their own. And, and now it's actually, you know, and, and I know a lot of colleagues um, in the industry still talk a lot about um, business technology alignment. The reality is in the way we work today at Target, uh, there is no chance of misalignment, right? Because, uh, you know, you just don't have those those squabbles anymore. Yeah. Things are things are uh, prioritized within pyramids. Yeah, very interesting. And, yeah, and look, and I've kept the resources constrained, right? I always keep the resources just slightly behind the demand, <laughs> just to make, keep people a little bit hungry and keep them keen and make them prioritize a little bit harder. When I think about the people who are the CIOs who've had an outsized influence on not just their company, but their industry and beyond, many of them are the ones who have had remarkable family trees, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, people who once reported to them who've gone on to become leaders uh, at other companies. Your family tree uh, is extensive at this point. It include, yeah. includes uh, Samantha Godbold, the global CIO at Lowe's, uh, Brett uh, Brunick, the chief digital and technology officer at Thrivent, uh, Kavan Verma, the global CIO at MetLife, just to name three examples. Um, I, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit uh, the extent to which Target now has become this remarkable 
talent factory. It's one of those uh, organizations that if you have spent time in the digital and technology part of the organization, I'm sure other parts as well, but we'll speak to the one that's relevant here, that that's, a, that's an extraordinary badge of honor that uh, will serve you well should you choose to go elsewhere also. Uh, reflect on that if you would. Well, listen, it's, it is the thing that I'm probably most proud of, or one of the things that I'm most proud of as I, as I wind up my career is that uh, many people who have worked for me, many more beyond the three you mentioned, yeah. are uh, CIOs of uh, large corporations around the world or are at least you know our senior executives in large corporations around the world but i've always seen that as a a, a particularly and, and it is a strength of target i think you know we have become an academy organization we produce talent and uh, the reality is is that you don't have places for all that talent to go i mean there's only one cio uh, i've got more than still far more than one person in my team who's capable of being cio um, so they will they will go elsewhere and, and then you know I'm, I'm sad to see them go clearly but i'm delighted that they're gone on to lead other big organizations. And I think that's not just true at, at my level at CIO. I mean, that's true throughout our organization. We produce fantastic architects, fantastic engineers. Um, and, you know, I can't satisfy all of their ambitions. But I'm good with that because, you know, we set up a model around uh, bringing people in and de developing the heck out of them and giving them the scope to learn. We run a thing called 50 Days of Learning. I expect my engineers to spend 20% of their time on learning and development. And uh, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty good at adhering to that. So it, it has become an academy organization. And I, I'm actually very, very proud of that. As well, you should be. Well, what, what's next for you? What are you contemplating uh, after you, you, you leave your post? Uh, what are you looking forward to doing? Playing golf. Um, visiting every <laughs> wine growing district in the world. Every mile and spending this and reading the thousand best books ever written. Uh, that is seriously what I'm going to do, Peter. I'm not. I'm. I'm. My career aspiration was to retire. I've now actually hit my career aspiration, or will do, fairly shortly, as soon as we announce my successor. Well, Mike, congratulations on what everyone can agree has been an extraordinary tenure uh, at, at Target and beyond across your your uh, your tenure in, in multiple com uh, companies in, in the retail space. Uh, uh, it's been wonderful to have a bit of a bird's eye view into some of the accomplishments and that, that you and your your team have put in place. And thank you so much for joining us today and telling us a bit about them as well. I know that I've gained mightily from this. I hope everyone here has as well. Thanks, Peter. 